Well, tonight, if you got your Bibles, open up to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about the battle cry, or as some may call it, the battle prayer. And the idea behind the battle cry and the battle prayer is, uh, how many of you have ever been in the midst of a battle? You've been through some struggles. Anybody ever been through any struggles? Anybody ever felt like they were in the middle of a battle, that they were just, they, they felt like that they were struggling, that they just were never going to get through it. It just felt like that there was an, an entire army against you. And that's really what this prayer is about. It's that battle cry, that battle prayer that when we are in the midst of a difficult time and we are faced with this great enemy that we just don't think we can overcome, there is a way to pray and there is a way to see God move in mighty, mighty ways. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of like inspirational speeches. Uh, If you've ever been a part of a sporting team, you know what I'm talking about. They give you that inspirational speech before you go out there to play. Uh, I remember one time... We went out to play football, and we were playing uh, this, this group called the Rockingham County. And Rockingham County was just known for being big and brutal and would run all over you. And I remember our coach just getting in there, just jawing away, telling us, don't give up, don't quit, you can win this. If you'll fight to the end, we got cremated, you know, like 35 to 7. I mean, it wasn't even close. But I just remember those speeches before sporting events because they tried to get you all pepped up and all kinds of ready so that you could go out there and face the enemy, face that group that you're going to be facing. Also think about uh, how inspirational speeches are used before battles. If you've ever watched movies, you've probably seen that, that king or that knight that goes out there and he kind of tries to inspire his troops that, you know, before we go out to battle, we know we've got this battle and we can win. We've got the right strategy. We've got all these right things and everything's going to go right. And so you see these kind of inspirational speeches happen before people go out to battle. You also think about it before you drop your kids off to school, you know. Uh, I've got a college-age daughter, and you know, you sit there, and you're, you're trying to inspire them and, and encourage them and, and help them before you drop them off. Everything's going to be all right. You know, you're going to make good friends. You're going you're gonna to make good decisions. You're, you know, you're going to all this. And then when you leave, as you drop your child off for kindergarten, you walk away, and you just start crying because you're just real worried about decisions they're going to make, right? But you think about it. We try to inspire our kids to live right, to do right, to follow, to do all the things that God is calling them to do, no matter what their age is. And so we see these kind of inspirational speeches. And really, that's what's going on at this time when Jehoshaphat is trying to make this prayer. He's trying to, in the same time, instill in his people that there is a battle that's going on, but our God is the one we need to seek. And I'm here to tell you, whatever battle you're faced with, if you will turn to God, if you'll focus on Him, if you'll follow Him, if you'll trust Him, you will know that the battle is not yours, but it is in His hands. So let's take a look at that tonight. We want to look at a battle cry and God's answer to that cry. So first, let's look at the battle cry, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 12. It says, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. No might against this great company that cometh against us. In other words, we have no strength. There's nothing left within us. There's there's no fight. There's no will. There's no ability. We know that we can't win. Have you ever faced a situation where you just knew you could not win? That there was impossible, that there was absolutely no way you were going to come out the victor. That in everything instilled inside of you, you knew that there was no chance at victory. That the only way victory would come is if there was a miracle. 
That's the situation Jehoshaphat found himself in. In fact, he was facing an invasion from Moab, Ammon, and other countries. They were all coming against him. They were surrounding the city. They were about to come in and battle him. And he knew instead of getting a battle plan ready, the best thing he could do was cry out to God. It wasn't to try to devise his own plan. It wasn't to come up with some kind of trickery, to find a way to swoop around behind the enemy, to to come in their rear guard, to attack them with some sort of machine. There was no plan. There was no chance of victory. He simply knew, God, if you don't show up, we're done for. If you don't show up in a mighty way, it's over with. He wasn't the only king that ever faced that. There was also King Asa in 2 Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 11. Asa was fighting a great enemy, the Ethiopians. And it said in verse 11, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God. For we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude, O Lord. Thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. I love that. He says, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with few. Or whether with ones that have no power. In other words, Asa come to the realization, God, we have no power. We don't have the numbers. We have absolutely nothing except you. Man, when you come to the battle, that's the best place to be, is to come to the realization that you can't do it on your own. That's the battle cry. That's the prayer of a warrior that recognizes that God and God alone can come through in a spectacular way. But he wasn't the only king like that. I think of Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 14. It says, And Hezekiah received a letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands. And have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. I love that. You got to understand the Assyrians had already defeated every kingdom north of Israel. They had defeated every one of those tribes that Israel couldn't defeat. And now they were coming into Israel. Now they were coming in to take the land of Judah. Now they were coming to defeat God's people. They had defeated many an enemy. They had destroyed their false gods. They even came in and they played that role up. They said, what gods can save your people? There's no God out there that can defeat us. There's no God out there that can win against the Assyrians. That's the way they spoke. That's what was in the letter. Hezekiah lays it out there before God and goes, look at the mockery. Look at what he's saying here, Lord. He's saying you can't win, but we know that by your power, the victory is ours. You see, that's what you got to do. And when we go back to this battle cry that Jehoshaphat said, listen to these last words, but our eyes are upon thee. In other words, God, we're not going to take our eyes off of you. 
We know we don't have the victory. We know we can't win. We know we don't have the power. We know we don't have the numbers. We know we're going to lose. We know all of these. But we're going to keep our eyes on you just in case you want to save us. Just in case you want to show up. Just in case you want to show them who you are and what you can do. But we're going to keep our eyes on you. I'm going to tell you, one of the greatest stories that I love in the New Testament is the story of Peter. And I love this story where Jesus is walking on the water. And he comes up to the boat. And of course, they think it's a ghost. But eventually, they find out it's Jesus. And Peter goes, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out on the water with you. Now, it's always funny to me because a lot of people look at this story and they think, well, Peter was just, he was so messed up. But can I tell you something? There's only two people in the Bible that can say they walked on water. At least he got out there. He realized it was better to be out on the water with Jesus than in the boat with the disciples. So he got out there, and he starts walking, and guess what? He walked on water, right on the top. But the problem was, is what happened? He looked away from Jesus for just a moment. Just a moment, he looked at the storm. He began to see the winds blowing. He saw the storms rolling. He saw the waves coming, and he took his eyes off of Jesus. And the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus, what happened? He started to sink. He started to go down. But at least Peter was smart enough once he started to go down to say, Lord, save me. And Jesus picked him up. But I think about that story. The, the realization is, is oftentimes we're in the middle of the sea, that middle of that storm, and the waves are crashing around us, and the wind is blowing, and it's whipping hard, and it feels like it's about to tear us apart. And the whole time while this is going on, we see that Jesus is right there, and if we'll only look at him in the middle of the storm, we will not sink. Jehoshaphat understood, i got to keep my eyes on the Lord. When you're in the middle of a battle, when you're in the middle of a ferocious, difficult, hard time, keep your eyes on the Lord. That's what I love about what's going on with that school system. Isn't it amazing that even in the midst of all this, they said, go ahead and take us to court. Can I tell you, the ACLU has done a lot of horrible things in this country. They have defeated a lot of Christians because they have decided to cowtail and bow down to the ACLU. But we now have a county that says, go ahead, see what you can do. We want you to, here's what they're basically saying. You're not fighting against us. You're fighting against somebody much bigger than us. And I dare you to take him on in court. I love it. Because that's the truth of the matter. As long as they keep their eyes on the Lord, there's nothing the ACLU could ever do against them. Nothing. So when I think about this, if we'll keep our eyes on the Lord, we will see God work and move and do mighty things that no man can understand. But let's look at the Lord's answer. Go down with me to verse 15. And he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeriel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Man, I love that answer. Don't you? That is absolutely amazing. He says, listen, thus saith the Lord, do not be afraid nor dismayed. 
For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. Here's the thing. If they are challenging the people of God who are in the will of God, they are simply challenging God. They're never going to win. When you face an enemy, as long as you are in the will of God, living for the love of God, showing the love of God in everything that you do, following in the word of God, you will find that God will always fight for you. You will find that he will always be there with you. And I love this. He says, the battle is not yours. Reminds me of something that David said when David faced a mighty giant. 1 Samuel 7 and verse 47, he says this, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he'll give you into our hands. Amen. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, you're talking about a rudy little 17-year-old that might have weighed a buck oh five wet, you know, that might have been about five foot eight, five foot nine, he's a pretty small guy, and he's going to go face this ferocious giant that's about nine and a half foot tall, probably weighs 300 plus pounds, looks like a monster, you know, it's been a warrior all his life, and David has only protected sheep and fought bears and lions, but this guy has battled people. He comes out there with a spear weighing several I mean, 30-some pounds. He comes out there with this tremendous armor, and he's facing this little kid, and he starts mocking and laughing at him. And David goes, yeah, I'm not scared. And the guy goes, I'm going to cut your head off. And he goes, no, I'm going to cut yours off. I mean, what in the world was he thinking? Well, he was simply thinking this. The battle's not mine, it's God's. I don't have to worry about it. And you think about this. Now, it's always interesting because a lot of people say, oh, well, he took a sling and he had five stones. You know? A sling and five stones. Now, who thinks they're going to kill somebody with a sling? Well, they were pretty good with slings back then. In fact, in fact, the Benjamites made a living off of slinging stones and killing people. But here's the thing. David wasn't a Benjamite. But the thing about it is this. You think about when he spun that stone and he hit Goliath right in the forehead. Anybody know how Goliath fell? You get hit in the forehead with something, where are you going? Backwards, right? No, 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 no. He got hit in the forehead and he went forwards. Because it wasn't a stone that killed him, it was God that killed him. Now you think about that. I mean, even science will tell you that momentum with that stone is going to hit him in the forehead and he's going to go backwards. That's just science. That's okay. God doesn't have to deal with science, does he? He never has. He doesn't have to at any time. But he hit him right in the forehead. David realized the battle's not mine, it's God's. But not only did Jehoshaphat pray like that, even in verse 17, he said it this way. He says, ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves and stand ye still. You're not even going to have to draw your sword. Is that not crazy? Who has ever heard of that? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Go back to Exodus 14, and it was Moses who said that. God said, stand still and see what I'm going to do. You know what he did? Moses went out and held up a staff, and God parted the Red Sea. You know, there was several battles where men didn't have to fight because God took care of it. One of my favorite battles is that one that we were talking about earlier with Hezekiah. In 2 Kings chapter 19, here's what took place at the end of that, verse 32. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the kings of Assyria... 
He shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into the city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And then they arose early in the morning. Behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. I know you guys know exactly how many he smote by that, don't you? Hundred and fourscore and five thousand. That's a hundred and eighty-five thousand people. Do you realize how many that is? This entire army that was just walloping through lands, just destroying people left and right, and God goes, hey, no worries, Hezekiah, I got this. Boom. And he destroyed them all. Hezekiah and the men, they go out there, and guess what they find? They find all the treasures of the 185,000 men, but they don't find 185,000 men because they're all laying there dead. They didn't have to do a thing. Why? Because God already said, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to take care of this for you. I'm going to move mountains for you. I, I love it because I think about Joshua. When Joshua goes to the city of Jericho, Jericho was a walled city, right? These massive walls. Nobody could get into the city. There was no way that they should have been able to have defeated Jericho. And you know what God's plan is? I want you to walk around the wall. Any of you guys ever seen Veggie Tales? Did you ever see Josh in the big wall? I mean, I could just see it being a little bit like that, you know? They're walking around the wall, and the guards on the, on the wall are sitting there mocking the people of Israel as they're walking around. Psh, what do they think they're going to do? Are they getting exercise? What, are they, what, what do they think is going to happen? I mean, do they really think they're going to come in here and win? They don't really have weapons. They're not really warriors. They can't win this battle. What do they think? How are they going to blow down these walls? There's no way they're getting in here. They can't build a siege mound big enough. They can't do anything. There's nothing going to happen. I guarantee you, they mocked them and made fun of them. Except on the seventh day, when they walked around that seventh time, and they blew the trumpets, and they shouted. Any of you guys ever shouted a wall down? Anybody? You know what's really cool about it? It says they shouted and the walls fell down. It didn't just say they fell down. It said they fell down flat. So they didn't have a hard time getting into the city. They just walked right in. You know what's also interesting about that? A lot of buildings were surrounded, that wall. And they probably fell down flat along with it. So much so that when the people of Israel went in there and they fought against the people of Jericho, they had no spirit left in them and it was over just like that. It just amazes me because God tells us and shows us again and again and again that he will deliver you. But you got to keep your eyes on him. you got to know who's in charge of the battle. And you got to know that sometimes you just have to stand still. I'm going to tell you that's the hardest part, isn't it? Man, I, let, me, let me ask. I'm going to ask a serious question. You ready? How many of you are worry warts? Bunch of liars. There should be a whole lot more hands than that. Come on now. Wow. I think I saw like 10 hands. I'm like, come on. Let's be honest. I mean, you think about it. How many of you worry about your kids? See what I mean? That's what I mean. There we go. You think about it. I mean, you worry about your kids. As soon as they leave the house, what are you thinking? God, please protect them. Don't let them wreck. You know? 
The child gets sick. Oh, God, please, please heal them. We don't want them to be sick. You know, we worry a lot. It's just natural for us to worry. But worry puts the things in our hands and takes them out of God's hands. I love that passage in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. To me, it's one of the most beautiful things to think about when it comes to prayer. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. But in all things, with thanksgiving, make your supplications made known to God. You know what that verse teaches me? It teaches me two principles. One, if you're going to worry, don't pray. You got it? If you're going to worry, don't pray. You're wasting your time. Because what you're basically saying is, is, God, I know, and I believe, and I think I, I'm pretty sure you got this, but, and anytime you throw a but in there, that, that means you don't believe. Got it? But if you're going to pray, don't worry. Just turn it over to him. Turn it over to him. When it comes to the battle cry, and I don't know what you're faced with. I'll be honest with you. We got Christmas next week. How many of you are looking forward to Christmas? <laughs> wow. My goodness. Y'all are some joyful people, right? <laughs> Woo. Hey, you think about it. I mean, most people, most people are excited about Christmas. But here, let's be honest. How many of you this year are getting ready to spend Christmas without a loved one that you've had all year except for now? Yeah. That makes it a little bit more difficult, doesn't it? Makes it a little bit tougher. Because you're going to miss them even more because this is the first Christmas without them. And so you come to a season like this and you start to think about them. How many of you, have, maybe not even this year, but you may have lost them recently. I know my wife lost her mother four years ago and she still thinks about her on Christmas. Still does. Now, it's always interesting to me when people tell, tell you this and they'll say, well, you need to just get over it. Wow, Really? Let me just tell you something. You don't get over it. You just learn to live with it. There's a big difference between the two. But man, it comes around to this time of the year. Let's just be honest. Mike was right when he was asking us to pray about this. There are a lot of people that are going to go through some hard times. There are a lot of parents that are going to go through some hard times because they can't give their kids as much as their friends are going to get. And that's very hard on those parents. And there's people that are going to face the battle of deciding on whether they're going to pay their heat bill this winter as opposed to getting their kids presents for Christmas. And there are going to be people out there that are going to be struggling to be hoping to even have a home to make it through Christmas. You see, that's the thing. A lot of times we don't realize how blessed we are a lot of times and how hard it is on others a lot of times. But the battle is not ours. And whatever you're facing this year, whether it's the loss of a loved one or the difficulties of facing this time of year, or there may be somebody, we look at that sick list, and man, that sick list is really long. It may be for the salvation of a loved one, and you feel like you're facing a tremendous battle, and God is telling you the same thing he told Jehoshaphat. Just be still. Just be still. Salvation is of the Lord. Whatever you're faced with this year, if you'll turn it over to God, I promise you what you'll find is you'll find a peace that surpasses all understanding that will cover over every difficulty, every, everything that you're faced with this year. You will find that God's peace will surround you. But you've got to turn it over. You've got to give it to Him. So tonight, it's real simple. As we talk about this battle cry, all you need to ask yourself is what are you battling with? What are you fighting for?
And what do you need God's help with? Because if you'll keep your eyes on Him and you'll turn it over to Him, you'll find that God will handle your battle.